the situation is not any better than when I left Afghanistan. In fact, it's gotten worse. Um, I've lost family members and friends, but you know, at the same time, there's still a lot of room to to make progress. That that shouldn't stop people from changing their lives and uh, enhancing lives through sports. That is Fareed Nuri, and this is In a Voice with Travis McKenzie. Welcome, everybody, or welcome back to Inner Voice. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie. I hope that you're enjoying the first week of the new year. I can't believe that we're already a weekend. Hopefully, your New Year's resolutions are still intact. Personally, I started a run streak on November 13th, so I'm 56 days into at least three miles a day. Um, so I'm ahead of the game a little bit from what I traditionally would have been, which would have been starting something new on January 1st. So it feels good to be well and truly, uh, in a habit now and on my way to the last men standing ultra marathon event that I've signed up for in September up in Maine. So, um, yeah, it's awesome to be, to be moving forward with that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about today's guest, uh, as I mentioned, Fareed Nuri, Um, has an incredible story. Um, When he was two years old, the Taliban came to his idyllic village in mountainous Afghanistan and his family was forced to escape to Pakistan to flee the war that was raging in his homeland. What he does describe is the darkness that still exists after decades of conflict. He also describes a motivated and engaged youth who are proud of their country and have a desire to do better. Truth be told, my background of growing up in Australia and spending the last decade in North America is far removed from what Fari describes. That's what's so amazing about this conversation. For me, it was a chance to walk a mile in the shoes of someone whose upbringing was completely different from mine. Yet, we're able to find common ground, firstly as human beings, and secondly through a mutual love for sport, and in particular endurance sports. Freed's family and society had a vision for his life. When given the opportunity to travel to the US on a golden ticket student visa, the expectation would be that he would return to Afghanistan to lead the country by working in government to help solve the generational issues facing his compatriots. What he shares with you and I are the memories that have altered the course of his life and his immediate future, including, of course, his first interactions with sport and especially mountain biking. He was first introduced to the sport of enduro racing in New Mexico, and his addiction and fascination for cycling grew from there. He now sees it as his moral obligation to become Afghanistan's first Olympic cyclist. This is a truly fascinating conversation that I'm privileged to bring to you today. A couple of things to note. We recorded this in the Rafa store in Boulder, so you will hear some background noise. I did my best to get rid of that, but there's still some there, so my apologies for that. Secondly, while you won't be able to join the group ride free describes at the end of the conversation, there are still ways you can support his mission of growing the sport of mountain biking in Afghanistan. I felt like I could have talked with Fareed forever, and this conversation has really stuck with me since the summertime. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I say this every time, but I'm very, very, very excited to be sitting down with uh, Fareed Nouri um, in the Raffer Cycle Club in Boulder, and uh, we're going to get into it in a moment here, but two gentlemen from the complete opposite sides of the world <laughs> um, meet in a beautiful place like Boulder, Colorado. Um, so one, what a wonderful world. Yep. And then also, uh, 
endurance sports and in this case cycling um, has brought us together as well so once again the community uh, is worldwide and global and it's awesome to be sitting down with you today mate yeah thanks uh thanks travis um like you said incredible to just uh find each other through the cycling community and end up here in boulder and uh chat over coffee love it and i first uh learned about you and your story through ted through ted king um and uh you know listened to to some of the stuff you've done with him and and um followed your journey a little bit um and that's when i reached out to you but there's some congruency in our story. So, you first came to the US, uh, I think, when you were 16 years old. Yeah. You landed in small town Maine. Um, <laughs> why don't you give us a bit of a background of where you're from and how that experience of coming to the US for the first time kind of shaped who you are right. today? Yeah. Uh, try to be as brief as possible about this. But um, So, hi, my name is Farid Nori. Um I'm from Afghanistan. I'm a mountain biker and currently based in Boulder. Um, as Travis was explaining, I ended up in the U.S. at 16 um, on a golden ticket, pretty much, uh, from the State Department. Uh, they used to run a, um exchange program in the United States for Afghan students uh, to bring them for a year in the United States, have them live with an American host family and go to school. It was a very good experience uh, just before that so i was born in afghanistan in central afghanistan uh, high up in the mountains eight thousand feet a uh, village of two homes only um uh, just my family and my uh dad's cousins and uh on a huge farmland um uh, and my dad was a doctor uh he was in fact one of the first country doctors in the entire district so he he would go all around the district treating people from the back of his motorcycle because uh, there were no roads going to these homes. And uh, that's also when the Taliban came in and I was two years old. Um, so kind of disrupted the peace and the quiet life we were having on the beautiful farmland uh, overlooked by these beautiful white fest mountains. Uh, so we ended up going to Pakistan, uh, escaping the Taliban, essentially. And uh, that's where... Uh, you know, we started life as refugees in a new country. My dad started his practice, uh, struggled a little bit until he was uh, familiar uh, in the community as a doctor. Then he decided to go to Australia and uh, he was gone for three years. Um, and then when things got a little better in Afghanistan, my dad um, decided to leave Australia uh, mainly because, you know, there was no reason to be, uh, living in another country now that your own country, uh, was back to normal. And, uh, he wanted to continue working as a doctor and he realized that Afghanistan would be good for my, for me and my four older brothers to grow up in as opposed to just, uh, you know, living as immigrants in Australia. And I, I, I actually, to this day, I thank him for that decision because, um, I think it, Going back to Afghanistan uh, gave equipped me with the perspective I carry right now. Made me so much more aware about uh, the history, the culture, the conflicts, uh, and growing up in those, um, I, um, you know, without denying that it was difficult, um, I have a more enriched experience um, living in Afghanistan. Uh, so I think he made the right choice. Uh, 
And let's see, in Afghanistan, when we returned, everything was just ruined. Um, I went to a high school that had no buildings. Uh, it was completely deteriorated to the ground. Uh, we studied under UNICEF donated tents. Um, so to those of you readers and listeners, if you've ever donated to UNICEF, just know that your money is going to some good places. Keep donating to UNICEF. <laughs> um and I actually have a very fond memory that's related to cycling uh, in those tents. So um, I've always been very academic. I was at the top of my class all the time. And in Afghanistan, the person who's uh, co- uh, the person who has the highest grades is called the captain of the class. So he assists the teacher in taking attendance and things like that. And a couple of my classmates had bikes, and they obviously were not into school as much as I was. Uh, sometimes they would ask me to um, to mark them as present in the attendance sheet, and I would ask in exchange if I could ride their bikes. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so that was your first introduction into cycling and the joy, I guess. I'd learned it in, 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 in Pakistan before coming to Afghanistan secretly, obviously, which was another fond memory because uh, my family has always been against it, uh, being the heavy academically focused family we are when in the u.s it's different you can go to school and become a good cyclist but in afghanistan if you want to become a you know successful person education is your only way and in my family it was one of those families that heavily emphasized on that anything else in the name of soccer sports was a distraction um so but i found my ways like that time um you know bribing people with attendance and so you'd mark them present They'd let you borrow borrow the bike for an afternoon or a week or kind of what was your arrangement that you had? So we would uh, would have an appointment. Uh, They would come an hour before school would start and I would ride their bike for an hour. And then they would, when the classes would actually start, they would leave the school, but they would still be marked present for the day. (laughs) Legend. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And, and so things started getting better in Afghanistan. Um, I don't know, like India, you know, there was like, an overwhelming international support in Afghanistan. Australia was one of them. Our school was reconstructed by India. I remember the day when they were cutting the ribbons and we went to our classrooms. It was just, it was cool inside. We were no longer suffering in the heat and everything. Um, and then uh, that led to uh, another good educational opportunity in Afghanistan. I went to a Turkish, I managed to get into a Turkish international school. Uh, very good academics. From there, I discovered about the uh, exchange program in the United States and a very long process in itself. Um, the first time I felt the, um, the complication and the unfairness of the U.S. immigration was with my, uh, entry visa to the U.S. the first for the exchange program. Uh, even though I was accepted by the State Department to come to live in the U.S. for a year, my visa was delayed at the embassy for six months. So I actually missed the first semester uh, of my exchange year in the U.S. And uh, like you said, um, instead of coming in the summer, I ended up in Maine on one cold January month. And I mean, January, you know, in Maine is just <laughs> an entirely Not a great place to be. Exactly. I have a, I have a, a similar story and I'll, I'll, I'll intersect quickly. Yeah. I... My uh, journey to North America was I landed in Toronto mm-hmm. in uh, the 9th of February and I had one jumper, like a sweater and like a small- South Pole. I was coming from Australia. So, I left. <laughs> I got on the plane. It was 36 degrees Celsius 
got off the plane and it was like yeah. minus 16 Celsius yeah. um, and was not prepared. And I was like, what the fuck am I yeah. doing here? It is so cold. <laughs> it's so miserable. Snowbanks higher than my hair. So, I can relate to you yeah. like getting off the plane in Maine in January. You're like, I'm, I'm not the species for this kind of climate. I'm not built for this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Maine was incredible. And something, I think the second part of your question was, how did that shape my life right now? I think it was tremendous. And um, I think ever since I left Afghanistan, uh, I've had two episodes in my life that has been very transformative. The first one was Maine. And the second one was a couple of years later when I went to England. Um, in Maine, I, like I said, I came in as a very, um, you know, well-educated young Afghan. Um, that's why I got into this program. I was selected among the very few. And um, I left Afghanistan thick in my head and also pushed by my relatives, by the society, by my teachers to go study somewhere abroad and come back and become a leader for this country in, in the way that, um, you know, like work in government or the UN or something, solve the issues. Like we have so much problems in Afghanistan. So there was a lot of like, and, and that, that was attractive to me. So I came to the U S like feeling very, very, um, motivated, uh, optimistic, and the first thing that hit me when I came to the U.S. was um, obviously the classes were great. Um, I had access to books and classes and subjects that I couldn't even dream of in Afghanistan. And But I also signed up for extracurricular activities, which was required by the school. And one of the things that I signed up for was tennis. And I'd never seen a tennis court in my life. I'd never stepped on one. And the first day I remember... I had no idea what I was doing. I was standing there with a racket that my host mom gave to me, and it was uh, from, like, the 50s or 60s. So, like, a wooden racket. Wooden racket. Probably, like, the the head of the racket's probably, like, just bigger than the tennis yeah, ball, exactly. so you have to be perfect to hit it. Yeah, and I just went on the court, just like you were saying, looking ridiculous, and... Um, but I loved everything on the experience. Um, I loved people shouting, deuce, um, and something occurred to me that day on the court was like, why don't we have this in Afghanistan? And the more I spent time in Maine, uh, in a regular public American high school, not even well-funded, I just saw the abundance of um, opportunities for young people outside of the classroom that allowed them to have fun, to grow, to be with each other. And it was just, it was not hard to compare that to Afghanistan and, and see a stark difference uh, in Afghanistan uh, because we have such limited resources uh, that they have to divide the building in five different times during the day. Uh, they call them shifts to accommodate uh, all the different K1 to 12. Basically, uh, you only have three and a half hours of schooling and outside of that you have so much free time on your hand um, that uh, and there's no outlets uh, to use that time in a productive and fun and engaging way and here I was playing tennis and I was realizing that there's so much learning and growth that happens outside of the classroom that we don't offer in Afghanistan and so all of a sudden from uh, that was the beginning of when I started shifting uh within me feeling the need that in Afghanistan there needs to be a lot of outlets for sports and 
other activities. Um, and that was sort of my, my, my deviation from trying to become some future politician to more into sports. And, um, that summer, I went home to create the first ever high school tennis court in the country. Like I said, there's none in Afghanistan. And um, it, it was easy. Uh, through friends and family, we managed to raise a um, few thousand dollars, and it was a concrete court. We put it at a girls' high school, and uh, one of my mentors uh, from the exchange program had a birthday, and he posted on his Facebook saying, uh, if you're planning to attend my birthday, don't bring any gifts. Uh, just bring your rackets and tennis balls. And I mean, I just love the whole aspect of that experience was everyone was so psyched about the project. Uh, we ended up having the court. There were enough equipment and all the girls started playing tennis. Um, and so that was, that happened in Maine. I went there for the heavy academics and I ended up, uh, walking away thinking there's more to life than, um, you know, my host mom actually joked with me. She not, I mean, she, it was funny. It was not a joke. It was real. Um, the day I was leaving, she said at the airport, when you came in, you were a 40 year old in the body of a 16 year old. I mean, from the, you know, I could talk politics. I could talk. That's all I could talk about. Um, I couldn't relate to a lot of young people based on the upbringing that I had. And that's, uh, you know, uh, that's what I'm trying to create for other young Afghans is to have an upbringing that's that's fun, that's forgetting about the war. That's uh, I feel like the 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 decades long conflict in Afghanistan has been creating this overcast of uh, darkness and 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 politics and uh, this bubble that is hard escape. Um, and uh, it's kind of become my life mission to provide escape routes for people uh, through fun. It's amazing. Um, I th- I'm sitting here and I feel like I'm worldly enough that I have an understanding of what the broader sense of the world is and whatever that means. But I feel like I've also been sheltered from that because I grew up in Australia. Right. I have spent the last 10 years in North America. I have have everything I've ever wanted. I've never had to deal with turmoil. Yeah never seen turmoil you see it on tv but you become desensitized to it because it's just another story from another country in a faraway place so to be able to sit across from you and hear your side of the story is uh, a privilege to me but it also opens my eyes to like other people's experience and hearing the first-hand stories of what people go through um and i think potentially the listeners and the readers probably are very similar to me you know they're uh, you know, grown up in a maybe middle to upper class yeah. income. They're probably now p- professionals. They're endurance sports. They haven't really seen or heard or experienced what you've experienced. So, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what that was like for you growing up um, and what it's like now for kids who are still there and families that are still there that are still involved in this overcast, this darkness that you that you talk yeah. about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, obviously, like, um, there's that saying that no matter where you are, uh, childhood is childhood. And I, I had four older brothers. We had a lot of fun playing cricket uh, on the streets of uh, Pakistan. And uh, we'd come home late. We'd get punished for it by my mother. Um, who was scolding us for not 
focusing on our schooling and stuff, but we still played a lot of cricket. Um, and you obviously grow up with, uh, there's a, there's so much tension in Afghanistan. There's a Taliban, uh, war going on. There's also a lot of, uh, ethnocentrism. Uh, the civil war is very recent in people's minds. I grew up in a household that revered, uh, one faction of the Mujahideen and going to school, um, in Kabul with, uh, people from so many different backgrounds, so many other ethnicities, um, you i often came into a clash argument or even physical fights with people about like who our sides were representing your sides and i would say that afghanistan has come a long way in terms of its youth uh kind of putting that stuff behind ourselves but it's not entirely gone uh today we're living in a very uh tumultuous times uh i feel like um it could easily go back to those days just because they were not uh, very far from uh, modern day. And uh, so a lot of young Afghans who are still living there, I mean, um, I'm sure uh, it's easy for them to get dragged into uh, tribal politics and warlordism and things like that. And um, there has been um, an outcry for, you know, just forgetting all that stuff, but it has its moments and usually sports is one moment where everyone kind of waves the flag and unites. Um, our cricket team is doing really well internationally. Uh, we've entered the top 10, uh, the test nations league and we play against Australia these days. And, uh, you know, in moments like that, everyone's very happy. Everyone's feeling Afghan. And I think I haven't seen another thing that unifies people as much as sports have done. Um, to answer your question though, about the situation, uh, it's bound to stay, um, at least for the foreseeable future. It's not going to get any better. I'm not here daydreaming about, you know, we have to be realistic about uh, what the situation is. and But within that situation, how much window do we have for improvement, for constantly uh, affecting at least a few people's lives um, through endurance sports? And that's where I'm coming in, uh, knowing that there's uh, still high risks, uh, that the situation is not any better than when I left Afghanistan. In fact, it's gotten worse. Um, I've lost family members and friends, but, you know, at the same time, there's still a lot of room to, to make progress. That, that shouldn't stop people from changing their lives and uh, enhancing lives through sports. Yeah. Um I think about one thing that you said about not having an outlet. So, like, you know, there's a pro- potentially a generation or two of people who are maybe undereducated um, yeah. or haven't had the opportunity to be um, educated because yeah. the, the the opportunity isn't there. And then free time on the hand on their hands, um, maybe no direction, right? Um, nothing to look forward to potentially. Like, yeah. do you think there is an element of that where there's too much time on people's hands that there's there's not enough progress being made because of the fact that there's not really an opportunity yeah. to make progress. Well, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an awesome question and there are two, two sides to it. Yes. The lack of opportunities, uh, create this, um, abundance of time that could be wasted, but you know, the Afghan, first of all, Afghanistan is a very young country. Um, like most um, less developed countries, um, 
demographically, 65% of the population is 25 or under. And so there's a lot of young people. And I don't think I've met a more motivated um, young Afghans um, in my life. I mean, I've traveled in in, the, in Europe, in the U.S., in Japan. Um, it, whether it comes to knowledge, whether it comes to schooling, whether it comes to sports, uh, if there is something uh, all of a sudden that people can do, there's an overflowing number of people just going there in, in crazy numbers. I mean, let me uh, tell you about an experience I had four years ago when I went to Afghanistan the rise of swimming pools in Kabul. <laughs> so every time I go home, I don't recognize it. It's a different country. Uh, and this time, this summer, it was the story had to do with swimming pools. And so I go home and there's these, all these big signs that saying so-and-so swimming pool. And so out of curiosity, then, you know, after a couple of days resting at home, I went to one of them and you pay about 500 rupees, which is six or seven dollars. And, uh, you have the whole day to swim and you enter one and there's a big pool and it's equipped with sauna, jacuzzi and all the other fun stuff. And, um, in that year it was mostly men, uh, cause in Afghanistan you still can't have men and women together, but there would be 250, 300 people in the swimming pool. And this is just one swimming pool. There were like swimming pools popping in Kabul city every week. And, and that's because somebody opened the first one and people went in and being a landlocked country that doesn't have a beach, people just got into the water, um, and they realized how much fun it was. And all of a sudden, everyone was just going there. Uh, people who were extremely rich was going there. People who were just earning $20, but spending like $6 on swimming every day was going there. Um, and nobody knew how to swim. And this was a fun part of it. I had learned some swimming in the U.S. and I was doing, I was doing my laps. And when I hit the wall to turn around, after a couple strokes, somebody just landed on my back because they just jumped in the water. People didn't know safety regulations. All of a sudden, there's a heavy dude who hit me in my back. <laughs> and I just plunged underwater and I was pissed, but I was also laughing. I was like this, you know, they were actually making fun of me and my friend for doing this weird stroke. They called they called it weird, but we were just doing breaststrokes. It obviously looks weird if you have never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, that summer I I would go there three times a day, and um, it was you know that's 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 the energy that and it's starting to happen with cycling. Cycling is obviously more expensive, um, so it's harder to get into. Uh, but yeah, once you provide an outlet. Um, people just flooded. And um, the other thing is with indoor uh, soccer, there's a lot of indoor soccer gyms. I mean, you don't need a lot of investment for that. You just need to provide a roof for um, a large area, uh, a futsal area. And because of that, uh, Afghanistan under 23 team became uh, runner-ups in the Asian championship a couple months ago. And it was heavily televised, televised and everything because there's a, such a big grassroots uh, futsal uh, movement. Um, so uh, I think the Afghan, young Afghans are incredibly motivated given the opportunities. Um, so, yeah, so I guess it's not, um, yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that. And I think it's so, you know, to surmise, it's not so much about the lack of opportunity, it's, it's, uh, 
it's you don't know what you don't know, I guess. Yeah. Um, and once you know. It changes. Right. And people come in droves and, right. you know, s- swim. Yeah. Stand in the Probably just stand in the water for hours and I know. what do yeah. we do? Okay, we just stand here and have fun <laughs> and, and, like, smile and have a good time. Yeah. Um, no, that's absolutely. awesome. Now, I want to I want to touch more on your cycling. So, you talked about, you know, um, earning your way onto a bike by yeah. getting your friends uh, marked present at school. But um, tell me more about how mountain biking came to be a part of your life. Yeah. So, again, one of those things when... I didn't have a lot going on uh, one summer. It was the one after uh, I graduated from high school. Uh, so after Maine, I ended up in New Mexico to finish high school. And having felt uh, the the complication and the difficulty to get a U.S. visa, I decided not to go home for that summer to straightly go to college um, because I didn't want to miss uh, matriculating in college. And... I was just hanging out in New Mexico, just, you know, with my host family, bouncing around, um, just killing time. And my host family's son, uh, Mackie Franklin, and his girlfriend, Sid, are uh, professional Endura mountain bike racers. Um, so Endura is, you you know, you're timed like a downhill, but you also have to climb up with your bike. And it's a lot of stages. And I'd heard about him, but I'd never really... Um, uh, met him because he was always busy traveling the world, uh, racing bikes. And that summer he was home for a brief window and I saw him race locally. And that's the first time I'd ever been that close to a mountain bike, actually ridden it. Uh, I was entirely impressed by the racing scene. Uh, his family, who was my host family, was there. Other families were there. Everyone was having peanut butter and jelly and having a good time waiting for the riders to come down. I mean, it's impressive when you go, you know, the level of skill and everything is just, uh, was so impressive for me um, on top of like, you know, the community aspect of it. And then I obviously asked him if I could ride his bike and that, that, was, that was when the addiction came in. <laughs> um, and then, so um, fast forward to then you go to college in yeah. Vermont. Uh, in Waterbury, uh, Middlebury. Middlebury, my mistake. Um, and then were you able to continue on your journey in cycling there? Tell me a little bit more about how that kind of took over that addiction. You know, came yeah. came over you. So the first thing that I, the first thought that came to my mind um, when I rode Mackie's bike that day was similar to the tennis court. Uh, it was like, why don't we have this in Afghanistan? And especially when I asked myself that question. Uh, obviously, the other thing that came to mind was like, well, we have a lot of mountains and um, Taos is Rocky Mountains. It's big, but it's nearly not as big as the ones in Afghanistan. And it's always when you have thoughts like that, you always connected with like, well, obviously, it's because of the war and everything. And um, and it that that's that story of unfairness and things like that hits you. And you're like, no, it's ridiculous. We don't we don't have the sport in Afghanistan. So I entered college. um I just finished the summer, the tennis project the summer before that. And uh, being an entrepreneurially minded person, that was like, I thought that was the next thing I was going to do is to try to grow mountain biking in Afghanistan. And uh, I, you know, my strategy was obviously to get to know the industry and try to bring the industry to Afghanistan. And 
but I also wanted to ride. Um, that's the only way to get to know the industry is to hang out with people who ride. Uh, no raising aspirations, obviously. And uh, it was difficult to get my hands on a bike because mountain bikes are expensive. But I got super lucky in my second year. One of my friends, uh, who was the president of Middlebury Cycling Club, gave me his uh, hardtail mountain bike. And I, I mean, that addiction, it was like in Taos, it was like getting introduced to chocolate and then being denied it for an entire year or like somebody forcing you to forget about it. Like, you know, um, so, I mean, you can, uh, you can imagine my excitement and enthusiasm a year, almost more than a year after when I got my hands on this bike and I would ride it every day. Um, sometimes even missing classes, just riding bikes. And, uh, the next summer I came to Boulder, Colorado with, a. Uh, grant from Middlebury College to work on an entrepreneurship immersion camp in Kabul uh, that I was developing the curriculum for. Um, and I'd actually run a pilot program of that the summer before in Kabul. And so I got the Middlebury mo money. I came to Boulder because there's a heavy entrepreneurship crowd here. But I also brought that trek hardtail with me. Um, and I started riding and riding. And that summer is uh, was the summer of the uh, Summer Olympics. And I had no idea cross-country mountain biking was in the Olympics. And when I discovered that, because I was watching following the Olympics, um, I got completely blown away. I was like, um, by this time, I'm convinced that this is what I want to do in Afghanistan, is to try to bring this sport. And then... Um, but I'm thinking about what is the quickest way that we can get the young people hyped up about it. And obviously, the Olymp if somebody from Afghanistan goes to the Olympics, uh, all of a sudden the whole country knows about it because I've seen how much sports can unite and rally the whole nation back home. And so I'm thinking about, well, somebody needs to go to the Olympics, but who is it? And obviously, all fingers point at me, and these are my own fingers. Like I'm like, but I've I'm, I'm never the guy. I'll do it. Yeah. And I, I asked, I mean, I'm like, no, it's too late for you. You can't do it. This is, you know, my friends would tell me it's too late for you. And I'm like, is this crazy for me to like try to try to chase this dream? And obviously, I, you know, I told you I played cricket in Pakistan and I would play soccer occasionally when I was in the U.S., uh, but I'd never been a serious athlete. And uh, and then it, it became the sort of the, the moral responsibility almost. Uh, and you can... You know, I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of people where their inspirations come in the sport. Uh, some of them just are born with talent. Some of them uh, are uh, driven by the results and everything. For me, it was like, well, think about this. How many Afghans get to come to the U.S. every year to study? Um, and the answer is usually between less than 50. And how many of them come to fall in love with the sport? It's like the chances of this happening ever again is... You know, this is me like talking in my head and making a sense of like, okay, this is, you got to do this. Um, and so that's, uh, I became convinced and I decided to give racing a stab. Uh, that fall, I went back to Middlebury and participated in collegiate racing. I bought an $800 car in Colorado and it survived the cross-country trip to Vermont. That's impressive. Yeah, that uh, car literally became my MVP because... Uh, Cycling is a club sport. There's not a lot of funding from Middlebury College. And I would drive this car every weekend uh, to races uh, across New England. Uh, sometimes, like, 
getting stranded without the money to fill up the tank to return to campus like four hours away and i would call my friend ted in the middle of his class and be like well no this is on the weekend uh in the middle of whatever he was doing like ted go to western union and you know most americans don't even know western union because you know it's not uh like venmo and those things Yeah. yeah and he's like what the hell is that and so i would have to tell him go to go to like Kinney Drugs, uh, there's a Western Union kiosk there, send some money, and then I would go pick it up in the town that I was stranded and like drive up back to campus. Um, and um, I mean, I, I had to make, there was no other support. My I'm on full scholarship. I haven't told my parents that I'm racing. They are not supportive of this at all. Uh, I'd mentioned to you earlier that I come from a very heavily academic uh, family and uh so i have to keep a lot of the things to myself um but i i had good results and i kept on riding and uh the next year i met ted ted king who started becoming a very good mentor to me and uh that was 2016 2017 uh moved up to the a category mixing it with the fast guys in collegiate circuit um finished mid-pack things like that um and then uh in 2018 last year i signed up with uh i 2018 i started mountain bike afghanistan to officially like start helping people in afghanistan um from the u.s and then uh signed up with my current coach dave who's a usa cycling coach uh and who has also worked with the rwandan cycling team in rwanda um if you're familiar with uh africa team africa rising um and then yeah it's just uh i think i'm getting closer and closer to becoming a good cyclist uh you know in the beginning when you want to chase something like that you want results immediately quick but it takes a while uh to build the base and um yeah and now i'm here in boulder uh full-time training racing and working part-time at um a bike shop to pay the bills um I love the fact that you were able to combine your passion and you took on, you know, I've actually, you, you mentioned talking to a lot of athletes and yeah. a lot of athletes actually have um, this Olympic dream or they right. grow up watching the Olympics and they're like, I want to go to the Olympics. Yeah. I don't know what it's in, but that's yeah. what I want to do. Um, so, it's definitely not uncommon, but I've never heard anyone talk about it as their moral <laughs> responsibility to become an Olympian, yeah. um, which is really cool. Um, and like... Let me ask you, like, how do you feel about that goal now? Obviously, you know, 2020 is around the corner, but there's Olympics four years yeah. later. Like, how do you feel about your progress? And you're, you know, you're obviously super humble. And I think you've done an incredible job to get to the level that you're at now. But tell me about where you're at in the, in that journey to become yeah. the, uh, the flag bearer for yeah. figuratively and literally for Afghanistan to, yeah. in the Olympics. Um, definitely not for 2020. Um, and that has come after uh, racing uh, UCI race um, with some racers from Asia. Um, the ticket to Olympic for for being an Asian is to win the Asian Continental Championship because there's only one spot in the Olympics for someone from Asia, for the whole continent of Asia. And uh, you're obviously looking at countries like China, Japan, uh, and to some extent Kazakhstan that has had cycling for a long time and more money and resources. Um, so 
but I'm still going to go at the continental um, qualifying games uh, ahead of the Olympics in May. That's what I'm focusing on right now. And uh, I think I know that I, I don't have any chance in this Olympics. Um, I'm certain of that. But um, I ha- when I graduated college, I, you know, with the pressure from family to get a job and everything, I just made a peace with myself to allow myself five years in this journey and see what happens. So 2024 is, uh, that's your five years, my five years goal to really develop as a cyclist and race a lot, get a lot of experience. Um, and who knows? I mean, even then, you know, um, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very difficult goal because there's only one spot. Um, and I think UCI could do a lot better by opening a few more spots, but, um, for me, it's more about the journey than the destination. It's about learning so much and, um, you know, and then, you know, giving away this knowledge and, uh, experience that I earned from racing globally, um, in chasing that dream. Um, so yeah, I, I make it, um, I mean, I'm going to give everything for that goal. Uh, but it's not the end of the world if I don't. And I try not to think about the second part because um, there's no room for slack. Um, and there's no reason to think about it just yet. Right, exactly. Um, can I ask you how the conversation with your parents has been? Like, have you had that discussion with them and have they come around to the idea that yeah. maybe you're not going to go and work a corporate job or come back and be the prime minister or president right. or head of state of, of Afghanistan for yeah. the time being? Totally. Um, I mean, you know, when I graduated, my dad was so proud of my academic achievement. Uh, and I graduated five months ago. Um, he, you know, with his friends and everyone, obviously, like, I'm, I was happy to see him like that, but, you know, it was definitely like, I was like, okay, but like, you know, I, I'm definitely disappointing you here. Um, and they obviously, they would rather me do a corporate job or, um, return and um, get a job in the government and work my way into public office, but um, I've it's it's come a long way I would say uh, from not being supporters to now accepting it and really encouraging as well. Um, it we would obviously had we had to have a lot of conversation um, event. Eventually, I had to. There was a point where we knew there was a problem, and no one was talking about it. Um, and we were. Uh, I knew they didn't like what I was doing, and I didn't like that they didn't like what I was doing, and nobody was talking about it. So I eventually had to uh, open up that conversation, and I had to say, like, "Hey, guys, like, you know, you need to accept what I'm doing." And uh, they they were like, "Yeah, we didn't know." Uh, you're bothered by it that much and everything and eventually they came around um so it's nice and that's also part of the thing is like it's not just my parents right it's everyone else in afghanistan when you're uh i mean i think so many people i have no one have come up to me straight and say what are you doing with your life um but i do think that it's a rare opportunity to come and study in the u.s and to not do the those serious well i guess you can call them serious jobs, uh, you know, more traditional jobs. Uh, well, it's people- probably like there's probably an expectation yeah. that, you know, if you get one of these 
lottery golden ticket 50 spots that this is the path that you're going to follow you're going to like follow this track and you're going to come back and you're going to exactly lead our country so you're kind of bucking the trend of what would be expected from the community exactly yeah i mean you know otherwise people like you know they would they, they confront this by saying you know somebody else could make a better use of this opportunity and so i think if i want to change that kind of mentality that it is okay to carve your own path uh something that i would always preach in my entrepreneurship camps in kabul um and i'm i have to live by that example myself and uh and i have to start that with my family and my my loved ones so does that um i guess call it pressure call it whatever you want does that expectation uh weigh you down at all ever or is it fuel and motivation for you to keep going down this path definitely fuel and motivation um yeah i mean eventually you have to first of all you have to listen to the inner calling um nothing gets me more out of bed than um the training rides the races the you know the the exciting projects and ideas i have about mtb afghanistan and things like that so that's the first bearer and obviously yeah you you could care less about what people think, but I do also care about what they think. And that's because, you know, um, it literally takes a tribe to start a movement and, uh, to have them on the side is important. I mean, uh, I had a conversation with my uncle today that I hadn't had for a long time and he lives in the village that I was born. Uh, so communication is always hard with him, but he had, he was visiting in Kabul to see my dad, uh, for medical purposes. And I called my dad and he was in his office and my uncle was sitting there and I asked him about, just caught up about the life in, life in the village. And he told me this summer there was a girls race at the local high school on, on bikes. And that was, and you didn't know about that. You I hadn't heard about had that at no all. No idea. There was no press on it. Uh, he said, he said 20 or 30 girls and they were sponsored by the, um, district governor and uh there were prizes for winners like bike prizes and everything and that was a shocker to me in a, in a in a very exciting way and uh it i asked him i drilled him about like what were the local like were people spitting at them tell were, me everything yeah. yeah were people throwing rocks at them they were like no 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 it was just it's normal and i was like do these girls like do they go grocery shopping on these bikes and he was like, well, not to that extent, but they ride them around their uh, farms and around their houses. And that's a huge, that's a huge start. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's changing the culture. And instead of it weighing down, it, it does become a motivation that people can change. And uh, yeah, uh, maybe cycling will become another swimming pool story in Afghanistan. <laughs> it sounds like it's on its way, which is really yeah. cool. And I think that, you know, you're leading uh, your own charge on that front. Um, but I, w- I want to just kind of touch on your journey a little bit about like the pursuit of the Olympics and the yeah. pursuit of the goal, um, whether or not you get there. Yeah. I think that within yourself and within the example you can set by just, you know, putting your eyes on a prize or a goal and going for it, no matter what happens, as you said, the, the journey rather than the destination, I think you're setting an amazing example for, uh, for people in your country. So I think yeah. that's amazing. Um, and then follow up to that. Obviously, MTB Afghanistan. So I want to, I want you to talk a little bit more about that. But there must be people that you have in Afghanistan who are supporting you and are advocating and are yeah. kind of your, I guess, your lifeline to to getting this 
uh, organization off the ground. Right. Yeah. The so I have a couple of friends that I've never met, and they're helping me run this uh, this organization. And I think that's one of the beauties of social media is uh, being able to connect with these people who are in the same headspace and motivation and uh, feel the same way about cycling and adventure sports like I do. And uh, they. Uh, I reached out to them and they helped bring together a group of riders uh, that I financially support. Uh, two weeks ago, we started the first ever weekly mountain bike practice race. Uh, so all the clubs from Bamiyan, which is uh, where our club is based, um, it's in central Afghanistan. Um, and so they it's actually right by the Buddhas that the Taliban destroyed. So um, a very historically and culturally important place. And I mean... For anyone hearing this, I think anyone would pay to go ride by these giant uh, historical monuments that are no longer there, but uh, a markation of you know the cruelties in history and everything. So I'm kind of jealous of these guys being able to ride every day or every weekend there. So we started the weekly race to grow the culture of racing and build anticipation ahead of the Hindukush Mountain Bike Challenge. Uh, which was the first ever mountain bike race uh, in Afghanistan too. We uh, organized it last year and it's going to run in its second year this year. Um, and uh, we threw the practice race to to get people excited, get people in shape uh, for racing. And uh, something really amazing that happened was I was, my organization was sending uh some prize money and some organizational needs for this weekly race. And then the other two or three clubs that participated, they stepped forward and they said, well, we can all throw money in the basket. And I just love stuff like that happening uh, of local people taking initiative. And that shows that they, they really want to grow. It's not just uh, who can give us, uh, cause you know, a huge aspect of this uh, sport um, and developing a sport is also, uh, development like it's done in third, you know, third world countries with foreign aid, um, foreigners bringing money, um, somebody seeing the mountains in Afghanistan and getting excited and saying, Hey, we need mountain bikes in Afghanistan. And then, uh, usually the case has been that, uh, they've brought the equipment, uh, they've tried it for a couple of years and they've left and moved on to other things. And, when I heard that these other clubs had stepped in to say like, no, we, we don't have a lot of money, but we have some money to throw. And I love just that, that initiative taking. And I think that's, what's really different about our project is that, um, unlike previous projects, I'm an Afghan at the forefront of this, uh, creating this movement. Um, I'm from there. Uh, I will always be from there. And this is something that I want to do for life. And I think, um, I want to create this sort of community where everyone in Afghanistan feel, feels empowered that they can do do it too uh, with other, be it with cycling, be it with you know cross country skiing. Um, I think we should just become a, an endurance sports powerhouse. I love that goal, and I think that um, there's two things. So I think what you mentioned about the sustainability of having it come from the local community, and I. Um, it, it brings back a story. Um, my dad, he actually, um, spent some time in the Solomon Islands. So it's an island nation off the coast of Australia. Mm-hmm. They went through a civil war. Um, the Australian government and the federal police came in and he was a correctional officer all his life and he came in to 
help establish, um, I guess, governance in the correctional system there. Yeah. And he was a triathlete, like, from the early 90s all the way through today, still yeah. races. Um, but he bought triathlon to the Solomon Islands and they formed a federation and they went through the whole process to the point where um, they competed in the Commonwealth Games in yeah. 2010 in Melbourne and he was able to march in and go as an affiliate or as a delegate for yeah. and um, but that was a foreign awesome. you know that's a foreign um, entity coming in and he would use his own money but he would get sponsorship and stuff from um, from Australia and they were able to establish this um, that's still going they're still you know they're that's still incredible. racing yeah um, so that like yeah I can see both sides of when yeah. it does work and when it you know when people right. come in and, and and do it uh, or yeah. the sustainability it has to eventually come back to the people for them right. to own it and grow it so it's really cool to hear that and yeah. um, the other part of that is like you mentioned you grew up or you were born at 8,000 feet and you talk yeah. about an endurance nation I think that there's the reality of that right. you, you talk about the fact that there's beautiful cycling obviously yeah. you know there's snow um, obviously there you know if, when you're born and grow up at that elevation there's that endurance benefit right um, talk to me more about that. Like what kind of, like what was, do you think that has aided your progression as an athlete, like being yeah. born at that elevation, kind of living there as well? Yeah, totally. I, you know, not before coming to Colorado, obviously. So I got into endurance sports in the United States, but then I lived at sea level and this past couple of months have been the real test. Um, I honestly haven't felt it that much. And I think it has to do with, um, growing up in Afghanistan and living at high altitudes all the time, uh, being born there. Um, I did the Mount Evans hill climb, uh, which goes up to, uh, 14,300 feet. And, um, it was just normal fatigue. It was nothing that, uh, you know, came from the elevation. Uh, I was actually like talking to people laughing and everything at the top. And I did see a lot of people like struggling, but, yeah, I think that speaks volumes about, you know, we are conditioned to the athletic demands of the sport. Um, I think, um, I mean, Colombia is another example. Um, cycling has more history there, but um, we're a bit late in the game. But I think we, we can become one of those nations. And uh, especially with the advantage of, uh, with the rising popularity of gravel and mountain biking events, you don't need a lot of infrastructure to to make this uh, sport development work in Afghanistan because it is all gravel and fire roads and uh, single tracks between villages uh, that humans um, walk on to get from one point to another point. And um, that's why mountain biking is such a cheap sport to get off the ground because you, literally you can just ride it out the door. And um, yeah, I think... Um, there's that aspect of, okay, we're good at this. Now let's try to make it happen. But then there's also how much, um, recognition that brings to the country. Um, I mean, you know, Afghanistan is just known for wars and there's a lot of people who, uh, who believe it's a, it's, it's a desert like most other places in, you know, the Middle East. Uh, they don't know that it's 80% mountains. Uh, I joke with my friends. I say, and it, it's it's actual I say joking but it's real you can go and climb any mountain in Afghanistan and there's so many unnamed peaks that you can name one after yourself <laughs> you, know, you can just call it Travis yeah, Mount Travis it. Mount Travis there. yeah um, so 
So we have how much these athletes performing at an elite level in the world affect Afghanistan's image. I mean, um, I firmly believe that a con a a country's outlook in the international arena is directly correlated with how that country perceives itself and operates and beha- uh, and um, and the outcomes uh, within the country. Uh, positive outlook um, has the people motivated to to continue to work towards maintaining that kind of outlook, whereas a negative image like war has dampening effects on people and it can even uh, send you down more, um, you know, holes. Um, and so creating these images out of Afghanistan, um, I mean, if we had a couple of people lining up in the Olympics in cross country, cross country skiing in marathons and things like that, all of a sudden you have a different story to tell from Afghanistan and it's only a matter of time and giving the, the opportunities for these things to happen. There's massive, massive national, uh, significance, uh, of a movement like this. And then the other thing is, you know, then you're opening up the country, you're creating more grassroots excitement about, uh, after you've had this first wave of successful athletes, then you have the whole nation, the whole young population excited about the sport. And that opens up, uh, that distracts people away from the problems that we were talking about. Um, and obviously I'm thinking very ambitious right now, but you have to be ambitious, uh, for things like these to take place. And, um, like how close is that to, to being a reality? Like how close is it that, you know, obviously 2024, you're on the start line of the yeah. mountain bike cross country event and someone, you know, is there anyone else doing what you're doing in yeah, marathon so, running or in these sports that you talk about? So Sajad and Alicia, who are my friends who set up the club, they're, they tried, uh, Seoul 2019, uh, in downhill skiing. Uh, they were the first Afghans to reach that level and, uh, they didn't qualify, but they're still going for 2023. Um, so there's, I think, I mean, if you look at the hockey stick, we're still at the, at the flat line. We have, we're nowhere near taking off. Uh, but, you know, keep grinding and hope that, uh, you'll, you'll hit the bend and the curve soon. Um, how much does that motivate you? Like seeing other athletes, I can tell that you're a very self-motivated guy. Like you don't need much external uh, input to get you going. But how much of that is like um, seeing other people be successful or pursue their dreams? Like how much does that push you along your journey as well? Um, A lot. I mean, I I draw a lot of inspiration from some of the cycling's greatest. Um, You know, there's obviously like the guys who are the best in the world, obviously like I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm attached to their story. And, uh, that's more on the sports side of things, but related to the work in Afghanistan. Yeah, definitely. Uh, seeing more, um, more young Afghans, uh, doing things. There's a group that's called drop and ride and they're killing the BMX scene right now. They, uh, they pull tricks, uh, you know, that are mind blowing. Uh, on the bike and uh, all within the message to grow their movement and invite people to just have fun and play. Um, and some people might just call them, you know, social misfits, but to me, they're just, you know, they're, 
yeah, people can call them adrenaline junkies and stuff like that, but they're just having a lot of fun and they're using their time. They go to school, they're using their time wisely. They're all under 18. Um, it's, you know, the, the classic fans story in Afghanistan right now. And so seeing those kids, uh, talking to my uncle this morning and finding out about this unnamed bike race in my village is huge. Um, uh, you know, and, um, it's so much excitement um and i just have to i just have to keep grinding and pass over this visa complication situation right now to actually be there because i feel like uh i i have some power to do something from afar but i would be able to achieve 10 times more being on the ground getting my hands dirty getting people on rides and you know yeah it feels like you're um there's a missing piece in the puzzle and that's you kind of being on the ground and being able to have that direct impact and, and people to be able to relate more to your story by yeah. seeing what you're doing. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, your situation now. You're you're obviously in the US and you want to stay here, but you and I talked before we started recording about missing home and missing family yeah. and missing being a part totally. um, of your community. Tell me about how that impacts you yeah. now. Absolutely. I think there's a, uh, I miss home dearly. Um, it's been a while. Um, I miss it, you know, it's going through a lot, but I, um, yeah, there's nowhere else I would rather be right now than home. That's for sure. Um, so the complication that that is related to is the visa. Obviously I have, uh, first of all, being an Afghan, you get, uh, very limited visa compared to some other people people from other corners of the world uh we get a one-year multiple entry visa and if meaning that only for one year you can go back and forth freely as many times as you would like but once that one year expires you can uh, if you go you're risking um whether or not you're going to get your visa in time. So in the interest of not compromising school, not compromising training, racing, I have not gone home and just, uh, you know, um, taken on a hermit's life and just been here staying put and staying focused, uh, which is important. I think it, uh, I'm, I'm proud of myself for being able to do that uh, because you do need home. You do need community for that boost and, uh, I mean, here, you know, going to college in the U.S., uh, people see their families many times every a year, weekend or yeah. every weekend or something. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a missing part of the puzzle. And also with the work, like you were saying, uh, I there's so much knowledge that I have right now that is not on the ground. And uh, but. Uh, trying to work on that. I think my biggest opportunity is to earn an athlete visa in the U.S., uh, which would allow me to freely travel back and forth uh, without having to worry about not being able to come back to the U.S., uh, which is the best training ground. So if you are a team, team manager, team member, and have a spot for your 2020 roster, I would be happy to hop on it and, uh, you know, um, join your team, join your community, and uh, there's benefit of your team getting involved with something that I'm doing with Afghanistan. So that's an incredible offer, and I'm sure we can try and uh, well, we're, I'm going to do my best to see what we can do to make some of those connections. But um, I want to I want to ask you 
kind of about that. Like if people are hearing this for the first time, they're learning about you, they're learning about um, MTB Afghanistan, they're kind of like, like me, I'm like, what can I do? So, I'm yeah. sure there's other people hearing this and have the same feeling. Like right. what, what would be most helpful and useful to you for anyone who's listening who does want to help? Well, um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, um, if um, if you're running a team and a professional team and have a spot uh, for an Afghan mountain biker, uh, let's talk. If you're not um, either in that position or even a cyclist, uh, but you know uh, an endurance person, person who just loves. <laughs> sports and what sports can do to create community and change um mountain bike afghanistan is a non-profit and we're an infant right now and we have big dreams and aspirations to anywhere from uh creating programs in afghanistan to developing trails to um bringing uh racers from afghanistan to the u.s things like that in the future uh please make a donation go on the website there's a lot of information uh we are tax deductible um and um yeah make make a contribution that's a huge help uh other ways um follow us on social media and spread word about us um uh, yeah and if you're in boulder colorado i'm doing a group ride on september 14th uh from specialized experience center to uh grow awareness uh about mountain bike afghanistan and uh the power of sports so join us for that group ride um it's uh it's an easy 60 mile uh in north boulder fully supported with uh drinks and food afterwards and a presentation on afghanistan so love it what about equipment so like if there's companies out there that are that are you know sitting on a bunch of cycling kit or old bikes or product that is gathering dust or people who have, like is that a is that a reality like yeah can we send equipment absolutely and i uh will take it uh, if you have bikes, um, new, old, um, I have, as long as they're like mountain bikes, um, because, uh, commuter bikes are easily accessible in Afghanistan. Um, yeah, if you have road bikes, mountain bikes, um, I have, um, in my network friends who have previously taken massive amounts of equipment to Afghanistan. Um, logistically, we've all, uh, we've drilled it down and we'll take it. So get in touch. Um, love it. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's the reality. That people have got multiple bikes sitting in the garage that <laughs> would gladly see these beautiful sights in Afghanistan. Um, I feel like we could talk forever. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation, and I, you've you know you've opened my eyes to um, to your life, and I really appreciate you sharing what you've Likewise. been able to share. Yeah. Um, and I I look forward to having many more of these conversations, and we don't always have to record them, but um, I think there's huge value for people who are listening that you know may may not know much about Afghanistan, obviously may not know much about your story. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing. Yeah, thanks, Travis. I really enjoyed our conversation, and uh, yeah, let's keep it going. And yeah, I want to help. And I think that our listener will be motivated and we'll make sure we share all the relevant links and people have all the information and, um, you know, people will be able to listen to this audio. We're going to do a, an inner voice feature with you and, and push that out. And yeah, I'm determined to, to support where I can. So thanks, Travis. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Yeah. Um, where can people follow you personally? Yeah. I'm on Instagram and, uh, Facebook. Uh, my Instagram handle is Farid Nuri. So, uh, F A R I D. 
N-O-O-R-I. And uh, there's probably plenty of us, but I'm the one with a bike uh, in my profile. So <laughs> <laughs> Look for the guy with the bike. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, and uh, let's make sure that we get this swimming pool effect going. That's what I'm going to kind of yes, call this is the, the swimming pool, pool effect. effect. Um, get people, effect. yeah, get people, <laughs> you don't want people jumping on your back too much, I guess. That's funny. That's a funny story. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, mate. Um, this has been great and, uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Travis. Legend. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Thank you to Freed for sharing his story with me and thank you for listening. As you heard, you can check out Freed on Instagram as well as the amazing work of MTB Afghanistan by going to the website mtbafghanistan.org. If you're inspired by Freed's mission and would like to help, you can reach out to him directly or send me an email to travis at innervoice.life. I'll be arranging a way to get old equipment sent to Freed to support his amazing mission and work. If you enjoyed this episode, I'm asking two things of you. Firstly, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review so other endurance sports enthusiasts can find the show. Secondly, send this episode to one friend that you think will benefit from listening to the show. Also, if you have a suggestion for someone with an interesting and inspiring story, I'd love to hear from you. My goal is to share new episodes once a week in 2020, so let's fill that pipeline. Until next time, get out there, enjoy your workout, and stay tuned for more great invoice coming your way.